You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Welcome again to Mosaic. So good to see everybody here in the fourth service. Man, it's my favorite one. I said all the wrong things in the first three, and so this sermon is going to be great. No, I'm kidding. But listen, my name is Nathan Brown. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a real privilege of mine to be able to serve here in that capacity. It's also a privilege of mine to be able to speak to you today. I want to thank our elders for the opportunity. And man, we have some great leaders in this house. Can we just give it up for our elders to lead this church so well? So grateful for them. I want to also, I'm going to thank a few people here. I want to thank the whole prayer team that's been praying for me this week. I've had a back problem. Still hurts a little bit, but I was like debilitated three days ago, and I'm up here preaching today. I believe in the power of healing, so thank you, whoever you were that are a part of that prayer team this week. If you're brand new to Mosaic and uh, you haven't been here before, or maybe you've been out just for the last few weeks, our lead pastor, Morgan Stevens, has been on an extended break with his family, getting some much-needed rest, and he's going to be back up here in two weeks, and we'll all be really glad glad for that. Now listen, if you are one of those new people, I just want to tell you our foundations class has started today. Our foundations class is really kind of a no strings attached way to find out more about Mosaic, what we believe, our doctrine, how we approach church life and community. And it's not too late to jump in. That'll be happening next week during second service. You can totally jump in on week two. And the last group of people I want to thank is our serve teams. Man, we have some of the best people in the world here at Mosaic serving in the parking lot, the coffee bar back at M Kids. Can we just give a round of applause and gratitude for all the people that help make these services happen? All right. Well, how many of you were here last week? Let me just see a show of hands. You were here last week. All right. Deacon Steve gave a great message out of Romans 7. It's a real theologically dense passage, and he did a fantastic job of unpacking that for us. If you missed that, you're going to want to get that, so go check out the podcast. But today, we're going to continue on in our series called The Gospel is for Everyone. We're moving through the book of Romans, and we're going to slide right on over to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Or this afternoon, it is. 1.30. Amen. All right. Now, before I dive into the scripture, I want to tell you that for me, this passage is really equal parts challenging and encouraging. It's both. And if you've ever talked to somebody who's gone through a recovery program, they may be sober for 20 years, but they'll tell you they're still in recovery. And I've got to tell you today that I am someone who is still in recovery in a very real way from many things that the Bible calls sin. Now, if you're a skeptic here today, you might be saying, oh, here we go. He just said that three-letter word. It's another fundamentalist preacher going to talk to me about sin. Let me help you out with attention just a little bit. I am going to talk about sin today. I'm, I'm going to do that. And it's okay if you don't even believe in the concept of sin. You can still listen in. In fact, I know everybody likes to eavesdrop. And so this could be your opportunity to eavesdrop on some Christians having a conversation about how we better ourselves. And because we're people, we want to get better just like everybody else. But the truth is, is what I'm going to talk about goes a little beyond that. Because the message of Jesus isn't actually about taking bad people and making them better. The message of Jesus is that dead people can live. That's what he came for. So if you're a Christian here today and you are a believer, this message is for you. And so I encourage you to listen even closer. Now, you may or may not know this about me, but I was raised in church. I grew up in the church. 
And for me, growing up in the church, in hindsight, uh, it was something that was quite cultural for me. It was like a part of my culture. Our family went to church. That's who we were. That's what we did. So I went to all the services. I sang all the songs. I prayed all the prayers. I did all the things. I got left to choir practice when mom thought dad had me and dad thought mom had me. And the church was like my second home. I grew up in this place. And though I had some encounters with God from time to time, what I realize now looking back is that my heart was still really selfish. And the older I got, the further my heart moved away from the Lord. And there were some moments he would draw, but I would just withdraw. And so as I got older, I moved further and further away. And I was a very selfish person. And so I began to make one selfish choice after another. And, you know, I had heard the story about Adam and Eve. The Bible says, if you eat of this fruit, on the day you eat this fruit, you'll surely die. But I also read they ate the fruit, and they did not die in a sense. They did not cease to exist that day, right? So I looked, and I thought, they got time? I got time. And I didn't really believe this concept that if I sin, it would lead to death. But I continued on, and I began to make one selfish choice after another. And after a while, the fruit of my selfishness started to kill things in my life. First, it killed my conscience. And then it began to kill relationships. And then it began to kill opportunities. And next thing you know, by the time I'm 25 years old, I'm completely broken. I'm going through a divorce. Why? Because I'm addicted to myself. My sin was leading to death. I didn't even believe that was possible at first. And that was undeniable in my own life. Now, maybe maybe I'm the only one who's ever made selfish decisions. Maybe I'm the only one who ever got caught up in the toxic trifecta of selfishness and stupidity and arrogance and did something to blow out your love. Maybe I'm the only one. But if I was a betting man, I'd bet there's somebody in this room right now who has also been controlled by sinful selfishness and has blown up a relationship or an opportunity or maybe even a family And if I was a betting man, I I would bet that there's somebody in this room right now that is considering making a decision that's rooted in selfishness and therefore sinful and will lead to death. And if that's you here today, well, I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad we get to talk for a minute. Not just because I know what it's like to be where you are, and not even just because God knows where you are. He does. But God also knows how to get you out. And that brings me to our scripture passage today in Romans chapter 8. So if you want to turn there with me, you can, or you can just turn your attention to the screens. We're going to read a few verses out of the first section of Romans 8. We will start in verse 2. Are you ready? One person's ready? What about the rest of y'all? Y'all ready? Come on, let's go to God's Word. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? In us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. But if Christ is in you, come on, if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, 
The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Jesus from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will finish it. Live. Amen. I'm done. It's a great word, isn't it? Let's unpack it for a minute. If I were to sum up that entire passage, I would sum it up this way. In fact, I want you to turn to your neighbor and give him the title of my message. Look him right in the eyes and say to him, you can win the fight with sin. I know it's cheesy, but tell somebody right now, you can win the fight with sin. You can win the fight with sin. That's this whole passage in a nutshell. You can, I can, we can win. Yay, the fight was sin. It sounds cheesy, but it is totally true. Of course, saying something like that is always easier said than done. You guys are good. Come on, four service. And here's the reason why. The law of sin and death is a law we're born into, that we participate in, whether we like it or not, whether we want to or not, whether we try to or not, whether we set out to or not, we're just stuck in it. There's no option to not be born into the law of sin and death. It's kind of like another law that we're all born into, whether we like it or not, and that is the law of gravity. Now, this picture that you're looking at right here, it's a very complicated way of explaining Newton's law of gravity. Now, I'm not straight on all the nuances of Newton's law, but what I do know about gravity is this. Gravity keeps me on the ground. It means that if I jump, I'm going to come back down. And if you're me, that's going to be from a very low elevation. You get down quick because we all know white men can't. You said it, not me. Now, look, even if you're like MJ or maybe Brad Smith and you got a 46-inch vertical, all that means is that you're going to get up a little higher so you stay up a little longer, but you're still coming back down. Gravity means that if I take this football right here and I throw it to my man Ben, it's coming down. Oh, he missed it, but it still hit the ground. Gravity is a constant force pulling you down. And let me ask you a question. What do you have to do to participate with the law of gravity? Say it loud. It's not your question. Nothing, not a thing. See, gravity is a law that we participate in, not by choice, but simply by existing. I'm born into it. You're born into it. There's no way not to be born into it. We're all born into it. I remember when I was in the fifth grade, there was this kid. God bless him. Bless his heart. And he showed up to school one day, and he had these casts on his arms. And they were like full arm, like went from the shoulder all the way down to the wrist. And he had this apparatus thing around his back and it had like I, I think remember like poles that came out from his hips and went underneath his wrist and so his arms are like stuck like this and he comes walking into school like this and of course I'm thinking how's this dude gonna read and write what's he doing here but when I saw him the only thing I knew to ask him was the obvious question what happened to you what'd you do what happened now bless his heart never in my wildest dreams did I imagine the story that he was about to tell me My dude starts to tell me how much he loves Superman. Uh Uh-huh. You know where this is going. And so he thought that if he just really wanted it bad enough, he could fly like Superman. And so he climbed up his little treehouse and got up on the roof. 
and said, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly, you can fly. And he jumped and fly. He did for about a second and a half, and then he hit the ground. I mean, no, it's not the fall that's scary. It's the landing. He hit the ground. He broke both of his arms. And in that moment, I had so many questions, so many questions. But all I could really think to say was, I'm sorry. Because I knew what he did not know before he jumped, but he most definitely knew after he jumped, and that's that you cannot will your way away from gravity. But here's a question for you. Can you overcome gravity? Yes. Come on, amen section. Yes, you can overcome the law of gravity. It's not a trick question. But if you want to overcome the law of gravity, you have to leverage a different law. You want to leverage one law. If you want to overcome one law, you got to leverage a different one. So think about how this works for a second. Your brain's already there. I'm reading your mind. So let's talk about the bird in the plane. So you see a bird flying. The bird is leveraging the law of aerodynamics to overcome the law of gravity. Now, there's a question for you. What must that bird do to return to participation with the law of gravity? Nothing. The bird just closes up its wings. I'm done. And down it goes. The law of gravity is always there waiting to pluck you out of the sky. Think about the plane. How does a plane overcome the law of gravity? It's got a different power source. It's got a power source that enables it to take advantage of a different law, the law of aerodynamics. So as long as the plane has the engines running, its design will allow it to transcend the law of gravity. But if it loses its power source, how many know what's going to happen? It's coming back down. That's right. Now listen, I want you to pray for me because I'm nervous around planes. I got to get on one right after this service. And one time I was on this little prop American Eagle plane and I'm sitting there resting and sleeping. And all of a sudden I hear this boom. And I got oil splatter on my window. And how many know I thought that was going to be the last time that I did anything? I thought, we're going down. And it kind of freaked me out. I hope you never have to take an American Eagle flight anywhere. This one was going to Fort Smith, Arkansas, and I should not have been on that plane. It has has messed me up for good. Now, this afternoon, I'm going to get on a plane. And I want you to pray for me because what I need is this plane. I need the engines to work to keep that sucker cooperating with aerodynamics all the way to Orlando until we safely land and not a moment sooner. We want those engines to work so we can leverage a law of aerodynamics and overcome the law of gravity. And this is why I say, I think that the law of gravity is very similar to the law of sin and death because it's always waiting for you. You can't choose to will your way against it. You have to participate in a different law to overcome it. Now, I talked about earlier how sin and selfishness actually did lead to death in my own life, but that wasn't the end of the story, as I'm sure you have guessed by now. So, but here's the truth of the matter. I I still wrestle with sin and the flesh and the devil and all that every single day of my life. But I did come to a place where the secret of overcoming sin was unlocked for me. And it's right here in this passage 8. I told you that you can win the fight with sin, but the question is, how? How do we do that? I'm so glad you asked. The answer is really twofold. The first part, the simple answer, is what I've already explained to you, which is that to overcome the law of sin and death, you have to leverage a different law, which is life in the Spirit. But that raises more questions. How do we do that? How do we walk that out? How do we leverage the law of the Spirit? And I think the second part of the answer is that we walk with a new power source that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. And as we do that, this is what Paul refers to as walking 
in the Spirit. Now, how many of you have ever gotten into a new relationship, a new job, a new town, maybe a restored or reconciled relationship, and, you know, it, it all like looked like maybe this will work, maybe it won't, and you just said to yourself, I guess I'm going to have to take this one step at a time. Anybody ever been in a situation like that? Okay, good. So we all know what it's like. We have some understanding of what Paul means when he says, walk this thing out. In verse 4, he tells us, walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is Paul's way of saying, I want to let you know, this is going to be a moment by moment, one step at a time process. But if you just keep walking and keep staying connected, the Spirit will continue to enable you to do what you can never do on your own. Now, back in verse 2, Paul told us that Jesus set us free, broke the power of the law of sin and death. But how many know there's a difference between freedom and liberty? Freedom is this. Freedom is the right to act and speak and think as one wants. Liberty is the state of being free. See, Jesus came and did what you can never do and broke the power of sin and death. And he did set you free from the law of sin and death. That's verse 2. But then down in verse 4, there's another part of our liberty that the Bible kind of indicates is up to us. That state of being free is something we have to agree with. We have to participate in. We have to decide to walk in. In other places, Paul talks about the Christian life like it's a race. How many runners we have in the room? We got any runners in here? I need an expert ruling on something. Come on, let me see here. Okay, all the way in the back. You don't have to talk loud. If I want to run a race, can I do that if I don't know how to walk? Nope. Expert just told you. If you want to run, you have to first learn how to walk. If I want to run a race, I've still got to do it one foot at a time. I got to put one foot in front of the other. You can't just get into a race, gun goes off, click my heels three times, and there I'm across the finish line. It doesn't work that way. If you want to learn how to win the fight with sin, you have to first commit to walking in the Spirit. So let's talk about walking for a second. How many of you raised children? Or maybe you've seen a child take their first steps. Come on, put your hands up. Let's get some, let's, yeah, get that blood flowing. There we go. This is an exciting thing to watch a child take their first steps. We all agree, right? Now, how exciting would it be if after that child took their first steps, the child just decided to sit down? Now, not just for a moment, because that happens but like forever. And not because of an inability of some kind. Like walking's available, but the child just says, I'm going to sit. And the child becomes an adult and says, I'm just going to sit. Like, it's almost unfathomable. You're probably like, why would you use that as an analogy? That would never happen. That is crazy. Well, with that in mind, I have to believe that God must be absolutely astonished When he sees people willing to embrace the cross, embrace the resurrection. Oh, yeah, I like that part where you died in my place and you're going to go make a spot for me in heaven. And when I die, I get to go be with you. But then when he says, oh, that same God that died for you, that was raised to life for you, says, come and follow me. Walk as I walk. And we just say, like, no, I'm good. I'm going to sit. Oh, I know you said I can, but I don't want to. I'm going to sit. How perplexing that must be for God. Maybe some of you made a choice to sit, but I think maybe there's something else to it. I think maybe what's happened is maybe the devil's lied to you or somebody else lied to you or you lied to yourself and you don't actually believe you can win the fight with sin. Therefore, you choose to not walk in the spirit. You just give up and you just sit your behind down and say, I'm not going to do it. 
Now, sure, maybe you have like a moment with the Spirit. Maybe you come in Sunday morning and everybody's faith gets together and it kind of gets you doing and you're like, yes, Lord, I'm going to get my praise on right now. Or maybe it's when times get really, really tough and you are desperate before God and you're saying, I need you right now because everything's coming down me. The weight of the world is on me. And because he's faithful, even when we're not, he will come and meet us in a moment. But that is still a very different thing than walking in the spirit. It's not the same thing. Actually walking in the Spirit, living in freedom from sin. I think many people have just decided that's not possible. So it's just a bunch of Christians sitting. I just want to ask you a question. Maybe I lost you somewhere. Maybe you think about the good breakfast you had or the good lunch you're about to have. I was thinking about that a second ago. But I want you to think with me about this. Right here, one, two, three, all eyes on me, honestly. We say we believe in a God who made all things seen and unseen. God spoke, bang, it happened. Universe comes into existence. Stars, moon, sun, earth, creatures, all of it. He made it. We believe that. And then we believe that God clothed himself in human flesh and came and lived among us, humbled himself in an extraordinary, unthinkable way, died for us, made himself an offering for sin on our behalf, then was raised to life, And then goes to heaven where we think when we die, we'll go and be with him for a while. And then someday the body that died is going to be resurrected and remade. And we're going to have a new perfect body. And we're going to be in a newly made world where we get to live with him forever. We believe all of that stuff. But then we don't believe that God can set us free from sin right now. I mean, ask yourself that question. Why would you believe all of that and then not believe that God can set you free from sin in your mortal body? You feel that? That tension of like, oh shoot, did he forget what he's saying? Did he lose his place in his notes? See, I think part of the reason that people believe this is because as humans, we don't like tension. You don't like it if I get quiet for very long because you don't like tension. So we seek to resolve tension through any means possible. I could have used like a musical example and had the band come up here and like play the song and then like land on the wrong chord. You'd be waiting for them to hit the one, and they never do, or maybe the four if they want to be kind of church cool. But, but if they landed on like the six or the minor six when they were in a major, you, you, you would hate it. You would hate the tension. I would actually ruin your day because you would hate the tension so much. Human beings hate to live in tension. In fact, we hate it so much, sometimes we'd rather just take the L and move away from the tension, even if it means making a bad decision to try to achieve some calm. That's how much we hate tension. And here's how that affects us in the fight against sin. So I believe that God gave us a free will. Believe it 100%. And here's why. I don't think that true love is possible unless there is freedom of the will. You can't, you can't choose to love unless you can choose not to love. But here's the thing. God came for people, not robots. So he gave us our free will. And then even though we, we say, hey, I want to follow you, I believe that you are who you said you are, that you, you died for my sins, and you're raised to life again, and we go through the whole Romans road and get it all figured out, right? And we decide we're going to follow Jesus, and he imprints us with a new, new spirit inside of us. He does not take away our flesh. I think it would be a lot easier if we just, man, like, I'm just going to say this prayer, and then bang, all my desires of the flesh are gone. But that's not how it works. God still lets you be you while calling you to be his. 
So the problem with that is that free will cannot exist on this side of heaven without some level of tension between the body and the spirit. The tension of walking not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, and we just don't like it. So we give up. I want to encourage you today that you can win the fight against sin. Don't give up. Jesus didn't give up. And listen to this. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. More things that are in your Bible that I wonder if we actually believe. That'll mess with your theology, won't it? Jesus was tempted in every way, except he never gave in to the temptation. And why was that? I'll tell you why. Because he walked in the Spirit every single day, uninterrupted. He did not step out of the Spirit. He knew how to say, not my will, but your will be done. So even when he had a will of something different, he would submit it and yield it to God the Father, and he would continue to walk in the Spirit every single day. Now, Paul tells us in verse 11, that same Spirit that kept Jesus from giving into temptation also raised him from the dead. And better yet, he says, the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of you. That is an incredible new covenant promise of God. But how, how do we lay hold of it? I think verses 5 and 6 will tell us. Let's take a look at it. You should have it on the slides for you. For those who live according to the, set their minds on the things of the, but those who live according to the, set their minds on the things of the, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is Life and peace. So I have another question for you. I know you didn't come to church today to get interrogated, but I'm just going to keep asking questions because that's what I do. I just question myself all the time. So I'm going to ask you a question that I like to ask myself. What is your mind set on today? Like, what are you considering doing? And when you're considering doing something, do you stop and back up? And pray and ask God, God, this decision that I'm about to make, where does it lead? Does it lead to death or does it lead to life and peace? God, this person that I want to date, this person that I want to marry, this person, God forbid, I want to divorce, this job that I want to pursue, this really expensive, crazy, time-consuming sports thing I want to put my kids in, this movie I want to see, this music that I want to listen to. I mean, the options are endless, but the question is always the same. God, what are you saying about this decision and what will it lead me to? If we go through and just make decisions without that consultation, we're going to make decisions that are rooted in the flesh. Because like gravity, it's always there pulling us. And unless we get ourselves into a different place where we can transcend it, where we can overcome it, we will continue to be subject to it. Now, let me tell you something else that I've learned in my own life the hard way. So if you're learning this from me talking to you today, you're learning it the easy way. I encourage you to apply it. You don't want to go through what I've been through. But again, I'm sure some of you have. I can tell you from my own life, it is far better to be proactive about these things instead of reactive. Let me break that down for a second. I like to look at my own heart like I look at my yard. Now, how many of you have seen the yard where they just let the weeds grow? Them suckers get up like waist high, and finally you're embarrassed enough to start pulling weeds. You ever seen a yard like that? I ain't calling you out. I don't know what your house is. 
You see a yard like that. So what happens is you're like, oh, man, all these weeds, I better go start pulling weeds. Well, let me give you a tip. Pack a lunch and a breakfast for the next day and a lunch for the next day, too, because it's going to take a long time. What you're going to do is you're going to go through and you're going to start pulling weeds. You're going to make a little progress. And you're going to have to go to sleep and wake up the next day and go pull some more weeds and make a little progress. And you might do this for two, three, four, five days. You make a week. You might not get through your whole yard. And then by the time you get to that spot, the spot you started with is already growing weeds again. And you won't ever catch up. You're just going to be stuck with a weedy yard. Because just pulling weeds will never deal with weeds. The way you deal with weeds is you've got to put down fertilizer and you've got to put down weed killer and you've got to do it with consistency at the right times, in the right seasons, in the right places. And if you do that, the grass will grow and the weeds will be choked out for the most part. Now, you're still going to have some weeds. But it'll be like occasional. It'll be like maybe a 10-minute job or a 30-minute job to go pull some weeds and put a little more weed killer down to try to keep them from coming up again. That is the way we have to deal with our own hearts. If you approach your heart like, and if this is your tactic to trying to win the fight against sin is that every time temptation comes up, I'm just going to grit my teeth and say no to it. Well, come up here and tell us how it's working out. You can't do it. You can't willpower your way into righteousness. What you can do, though, that is up to you is you can fertilize your heart and you can put the weed killer in your heart. You can get in God's word. You can spend time in prayer. You can submit every decision to the Lord. You can go worship even when you don't feel like it. You can show up to church even though you had a long week. You can do all the things that you need to do to put the good stuff in, which will then cause the weeds, by and large, to die off. Now, some of them are still going to show up. So don't look at that and go, well, God, your promise failed me. I got another weed that showed up. Forget that. That's because you still got some flesh. But you can mitigate it by putting the good things in, just like I can mitigate the weeds by putting the fertilizer in my lawn. And this is really the secret. I told you, the secret of overcoming sin. I'm going to give it to you today. It is this. It is by walking in the Spirit proactively every day of your life. I didn't say it was easy, but it is simple you got to be proactive. The reason I have to be proactive is because I don't, have, I don't have a source of like fertilizer and weed killer within me. I've got to go get it, right? I've got to go to the Word. I've got to go to worship. I've got to go to prayer. And then I've got to get filled back up because I run out. Even when I get filled up once, I run out. And so when I find myself getting a little anxious and getting into the flesh, that tells me I need to go get filled back up again. When I find myself getting snippy with my wife, y'all pray for her because I do sometimes. But I have to go back, not, not, not to her. I've got to go to the Lord and get filled with something to help me be someone I can't be by myself. When I get scared, I've got to be filled up. When I'm being tempted, I've got to get filled up. When I'm thinking about making a really bad decision, then my blow my life up. I got to get filled back up. I need to put inside of me the power source to help me overcome the law that's always there waiting to kill me. And it's in being filled with the spirit of God and abiding in the vine that I actually get what I need to overcome my flesh so that I can and will win the fight against sin. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is in Galatians 5:16 and it says this. Walk by the spirit And you will not gratify the deeds of the flesh. I like to like get into the complicated nuances of theology. But if I could also just tell you, I love it when God just speaks real plain for me because I can be dense. And that's what he does right here. If you walk in the spirit, Nathan, 
You cannot carry out the deeds of the flesh. This is how Jesus lived a sinless life. He walked in the Spirit all the time. And when you're walking in the Spirit, you cannot sin. You cannot give in to your flesh because the Spirit is more powerful. So here's what this means, though. When we find ourselves, this is real practical. When you find yourself like salty in the flesh, being rude to people or being angry or being lustful or being whatever, you've got to acknowledge your location. I am no longer in the Spirit. I have stepped over here and I'm walking in myself. Therefore, all I'm getting is the fruits of my flesh. And those are never good. But if you can, if you can acknowledge your location, you can change it. You can move back over here and say, I'm going to get myself back into the Spirit. I'm going to do what the Bible says. I'm going to set my mind from this thing back over to this thing. That's what repentance is. You hear preachers talk about repent. Okay, repent. But here's all repent means. My mind was over here on this scheme to make some money by ripping somebody off. Now I'm going to set my mind on the goodness of God. And when you set your mind on something else, you can begin to move in a different direction. Listen to me. When you get tempted, I think you got about three seconds to say no to the temptation. That's part one. But then you got like one second to say yes to something else. You cannot fight your temptation by always being right there dealing with it. Listen, you cannot. Listen to me closely. You cannot have conversations with your temptations. You will lose every time. So how do you overcome temptations? You got about three seconds to say no, and then you got about one second to say yes to something else. And listen, I do this all the time. If you see me driving down 183 and it looks like I'm like really mad or my, I'm being real expressive and you can tell like I'm yelling at somebody, let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm preaching to myself. I'm saying, no, I will not yield to that thought. I'm going to say yes to something else. I say yes to God. I say, yes, your ways are higher. Yes, your ways are stronger. Yes, your ways are better. Yes, all your promises are yes and amen. Yes, you have my good in mind. Yes, you know what is best for me. So I I say no to the devil, I say no to my flesh, and I say yes to what you want for me. What I'm trying to do is be like Jesus and say, not my will, but your will be done. It's a prayer that Christians should start to pray a little more often. We're always talking about, oh God, can you come bless my thing? Forget that. I want to get in the middle of your thing because that's what you already blessed in the first place. Not my will, but your will be done. And listen to me, church. If you will pray that prayer with an earnest heart, he will answer you every time. Why don't I get answers to my prayers? Maybe you're not praying according to the will of God. You want to see a prayer Jesus will answer? No to this, yes to you. Yes, I want you. I want to hear your voice. Show me what I've done. If I've seared my conscience, will cut me and break me apart so I can feel again, so I know what I need to do to bless you, to live in life and peace. I know I'm a little over his fourth service. I'm sorry. I have to address something here before I close. I know that there's a voice talking to some of you right now, and it's saying this. It's saying, hey, this dude is crazy. You're just human after all. You're going to keep on sinning. There's nothing you can do about it. I mean, you can't really be like Jesus. Jesus was God. Who do you think you are? Well, my mom, who's here on the front row, she told me something when I was a kid. It stuck with me. She told me to always consider the source. So let's investigate the source of that voice that's talking to you right now. There's a God who made you, who designed you, who sent Jesus into the world for you, who said, come and walk as I walk. I'm your forerunner. Follow me. 
Then there's a devil who exists to steal, kill, and destroy, to rob you of every blessing, destiny, purpose, and design. Now, which one does it sound like when it says, you can't be like Jesus, walk with me. You can't follow Jesus, follow me. You, you, you can't lay down your will, it's just too strong, it's just too hard. Submit your will to me. Listen, I'm going to tell you the source. It's either the devil or your flesh. And either way, it ain't the one you want to listen to. The devil's a liar. And he wants to convince you that you have no choice but to continue to sin. Because if he does, oh, you might live and make some money and all that kind of stuff. But here's what's going to happen. In in, in the spirit, you're just going to go around the same mountain your whole life and never move past those things that continue to kill you. Because that's what selfishness and stupidity and arrogance will lead you to. It leads to death. So that's, that's what the devil's trying to tell you. And meanwhile, the book of Romans and every other epistle and Jesus himself is saying, hey, come follow me. I set you free from the law of sin. Sin will no longer be, uh, have dominion over you. You're no longer a slave to sin. You've been made righteous because of what Jesus did. The one who says he loves God but continues in sin is a liar. I mean, he says all kinds of stuff. It's hard, but it's true. And he's telling us we can do this, but we can't do it on our own. We can't grit our teeth and bear it. We can't just will our way away from it. We must submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, participate in the law of the Spirit of life, and overcome the Spirit, excuse me, the law of sin and death. Now, in closing, I want to give you just one more illustration. You see this vase up here? Is there anything in the vase? You see anything in the vase? It's not a magic trick. Actually, there is something in the vase. It's actually the dominant substance of our world. It's air. It's everywhere. You just can't see it. Now, here's a question. How do I get the air out of the vase? Can I suck it out? That didn't work. Can I will it out? Come on, air. Get out of there. Can I cast it out? Come out, air. I can't cast the air out of this, and I can't cast the flesh out of myself. I wish I had time to preach a whole nother message out of Galatians on the deeds of the flesh just so you could see all the bad stuff you can do while the devil's taking vacation. You can't cast yourself out of yourself. I can't cast the air out of this vase. So what am I to do? I have nothing within me to get rid of the air that is inside this vase. Well, I'll tell you what I, what I can do. I can leverage something stronger than the air. And I can begin to pour and pour and pour. And it may look to you like I'm pouring water into an empty vase, but you would be wrong. What I'm actually doing is pushing the air out with something more powerful. Now the water in that vase, it won't stay there forever. Depending on the environmental conditions and the temperature in the room and all of those sorts of things, eventually this water will yield itself to a different law, the law of evaporation, and it will go away. It might stay there for a week, a month, maybe even for a year. I don't know. But eventually the water is going to go away if it just sits there and does nothing. Poke a few holes in it, it'll drain a whole lot faster. And that's what happens when we hit troubles and trials and tribulations. Hole poke, hole poke, hole poke, and we just start to leak. There's only one way for this vase to stay full of water, and that's if I continue constantly to pour the water back in. Because the dominant law that affects this water of evaporation will cause it to just leave if it, does, if it does nothing, if I do nothing with it. So I've got to keep pouring in. Friends, we're the same way. 
Let me tell you something. You might have gone to some church camp or maybe you went to some worship night or you went to some Holy Ghost party and you got filled with the Spirit of God. And then six weeks later, you're right back into your same old sin patterns and you're wondering, what is wrong with me? I thought I got filled with the God. Yeah, well, you leaked. You evaporated. That's why you got to walk in the Spirit every single day. Those moments are cool because they can kind of fill you up and push all the flesh out for a minute. But whether it's a day, a week, a month, a year, that water of the Spirit that was in you is going to evaporate unless you continue to take in more. Close your eyes with me real quick. Earlier today, we sang a song, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Now, I don't remember when it was exactly, but at some point, I started to sing that song through a different grid, through a different lens. So maybe you came one time when I was leading worship and you heard me singing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. And you, you thought I was singing about the room that you're sitting in right now. But I was actually singing about all the rooms in my heart. Because that's the atmosphere that I need changed by the presence of God. And so we're going to sing this song in just a couple of moments. And, and what I'm asking you to do is to sing it through a different grid. Don't think about the room you're in or what you're hoping you may see or feel. I want you to cry out to God, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Come flood this place. Fill the atmosphere of my heart and my mind. Your glory, God, is what my heart longs for, to be overcome on the inside by your presence. God, I pray that you would make us a people who would learn to walk in the Spirit. Oh, God, what the world would look like if everybody who called you Savior also called you Lord. God, what a people we would be if we looked at every temptation, not as a test of our own willpower, but a test of our faith. Do we believe what you said or not? God, I pray that you would fill every person who desires to be filled today. Let us not leave empty like we came in here, but fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your power. Give us victory in Jesus like we sang about earlier. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come flood our hearts now as we sing to you. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.